You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about X-Men Dark Phoenix. But before we do that, just a bit of an update. Beth and I are still watching Titans. We've almost finished season two, so we'll be starting Doom Patrol soon, which I am very excited about. Episode 100 of the 42 cast is getting even closer, so please send in your emails or make your comments on any of the social media or on the website or any of that, and just let me know what you would like to know. What would you like to know about the show? What would you like to know about me? What would you like to know about one of the guests? Anything like that. Anything that I can answer and that is tasteful, I will answer on the show, so... You know, I don't think anyone in my audience would send in anything that, you know, I couldn't talk about on the show. Remember that it is not an explicit podcast, so, you know, keep it PG, friends. But anyway, (laughs) uh, yeah, so uh, I'd really love for everybody to participate, you know, send in more questions. uh, Yeah, that's going to be part of the 100th. The next thing that I wanted to talk about is Chicago TARDIS. I will be attending Chicago TARDIS virtually. Still don't know anything about the schedule. They are cutting things a little bit fine since the con only starts in about two and a half weeks and they haven't done a call for panelists yet or anything. They asked for submissions of ideas for panels, but they haven't actually said what the panels that are actually going to make it are. So we will see how that is going to play out over the course of the next couple of weeks and I will keep you posted. But besides all that, I think Beth and I are going to get back into watching some anime soon. There are several series that we've had on the back burner for a while, stuff like that. And, you know, things have been going fairly well in general. But the other thing that I wanted to bring up, kind of the exciting news that I've hinted about, I think, for the last two episodes, is that I was able to interview Skylar Samuels last week. And that was amazing. Skylar played all three of the Frost sisters in the Gifted TV series. She was excellent in that, and it was amazing that she came on the show. She talked with me. We talked about the Gifted for probably half or more than half of the interview, but I also talked with her a little bit about, you know, what her interests are, you know, her career before the Gifted, you know, projects that she's working on now, all that kind of stuff that I like to do with all the people that I interview, just so that we don't talk to them about just one thing, so we kind of get, like, kind of a feeling for them as a person, all that kind of stuff. So that will be coming up in the next couple of months. I have another interview that I'm going to post before hers, but she is going to be the next interview that I post after that. So just two interviews from now. So I'm targeting mid-January for that to post. 
And so, yeah, uh, exciting stuff going on with the show. And I hope that you guys are all excited for it. And hopefully this will lead to even bigger and better things. So I will keep you posted on that as well. But that's enough of me just talking on. Now let's join the podcast already in progress. First up, let's chat with the guy who uh, we know watches Timeless or watch Timeless. Um, He is also a podcaster, and that is my friend Gerald. How are you doing, Gerald? Pleasure to be here. Always great to be on the show, Nathan. I know we haven't spoken in a while as far as on the show is concerned, but ready to talk some X-Men today. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what's been going on for you, Gerald? I think it's been, ooh, I mean, probably a year since the last time we talked. Uh, yeah, about that. You know, when you heard the the unfortunate time, untimely end for Timeless, <laughs> right. I know uh, basically just been working on the pop culture cosmos. I mean, uh, two shows a week, uh, we cover the latest uh, news and information for pop culture and and uh, it's on several radio stations around the world and also as well on, on so many podcast outlets. So that takes a lot of my time. Uh, a lot of my uh, guys went to E3 this week. I know that was a great thing for them. They always had fun, even though it wasn't exactly kind of uh, as interesting as normal. I think because a lot of these uh, publishers are looking forward to next year or the year after when the new consoles from PlayStation and Xbox gets gets announced, but still they mm-hmm. had a good time. So, yeah, it's, it's just been trying to take care of that and and uh, you know getting a lot like you getting all these interviews lined up. I know I see all the work you put into getting all these people, you know, these great voices together to get these interviews. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, as you know, as you know, that seems to be more than half the battle right there. Yes, yes, it is a lot of work because people uh, are all over the country and even in Canada and trying to line up schedules and different time zones and everything. And, is, uh, can be quite the chore. So, yeah, um, that is a lot of the work <laughs> right there. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but it's worth it when I can get a good cast together. Well, I just, again, appreciate being on the show. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, no, so am I. Uh, I'm very curious to hear everyone's thoughts on uh, Dark Phoenix. Um, but with that said, let's meet our other guests for this week. And uh, she is a cunning knitter. Uh, she is a huge Star Wars fan. And uh, that is my friend Juliet. How are you, Juliet? Doing okay tonight. Looking forward to discussing Dark Phoenix, even though I hold the unpopular opinion in the internet. Okay. Well, that's uh, I, I also hold an unpopular opinion on the internet, so that should be interesting. Um, I see on your Skype uh, icon that you uh, have a Phoenix costume on. Oh, crap. I totally forgot about that. That's my icon. Yes, I do. I have like three Phoenix costumes, Phoenix, Dark Phoenix and White Phoenix of the Crown. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, would it be um, a mistake to say that uh, you are a big fan of the Phoenix? I don't know why you think that I'm a Jubilee fan the whole way. (laughs) (laughs) So are you a fan uh, like so how did you originally come to the storyline? Was it from the animated series or was it from the comics? Um, if you can believe it, I never really liked the original uh, comic book style mm-hmm. of artwork. And so my first introduction to Jean Grey or the Phoenix was the very first X-Men movie. I mean, I knew about oh, her and okay. vaguely the Phoenix, but that was the first introduction I had to her. At which point I went out and I happened across the comic, uh, the graphic novel Phoenix End Song, mm-hmm. which has such beautiful artwork in it that I fell completely in love. 
Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, because I know a lot of people, our generation, uh, watched the X-Men animated series, and so got the Phoenix Saga through that. So that's actually really cool that you have uh, had a different intro. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I caught the animated series, but it never really held my attention too well. Yeah, so though, but it's good to have you on the podcast this week and uh, discussing it because uh, <laughs> trying to get you on has is sometimes a little difficult. I know, <laughs> but it's always great to have you. Glad to be here. And uh, hopefully James will show up at some point. Uh, he was supposed to be on the podcast today, and we have no idea where he is. So. <laughs> All right, but uh, so before we uh, start talking about the movie, we're going to do what I like to call five-minute controversy. Um, And for those just joining us for the first time, all that that is is a way for me to bring up something that's going on on the Internet right now or, you know, people are discussing and just sort of get a poll of our opinions on it just to give you, the listeners, a little insight into us, into our thinking about something that doesn't have anything to do with the topic we're talking about, but also to uh, sort of loosen us up. Uh, but uh, but to just kick the ball rolling. So the thing, the rumor right now is that uh, in uh, the, the, the Batman movie, uh, Matt Reeves' uh, The Batman, um, Macaulay Culkin is going to play the Joker. So thoughts. <laughs> Gerald, let's start with you. I mean, it can't get any worse with Robert Pattinson playing the Batman. Oh, wait, it just did. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I already talked about the Robert Pattinson thing on a previous episode. But... Any more sparkles coming along, though? <laughs> well, they could. They could. Yeah, that's fair. That's true. I just again, it's it's hard for a lot of people to believe that Robert Pattinson is going to be that type of imposing figure mm-hmm. come come that time. I, you know what? I think he is going to be. In all seriousness, I think he's going to surprise some people. By the time those first trailers hit, I think a lot of people. I know, and Warner Brothers is writing on this, that he's going to have to deliver and be that, you know, you won't see until the movie how well he performs, but to be that imposing figure, at least in those initial trailers that come out, I think he will surprise some people. I think all kidding aside and all joking aside, I think he he will be able to, uh, you know, take the role up in, you know, maybe if not right away, if they, if they're, what are their, whatever their plans long term for him, I think at some point in time he will be able to adapt to the role, you know, okay, rather nicely. I, I, I still would have liked to seen where Bad, Bad Fleck would have gone. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to have seen how that his arc would have finished out, giving him another maybe two, three movies. But you know what? Robert Pattinson is what we got. He does play the broody side of of bruce wayne very well uh, that he's already got down pat i mean he's had lots of practice with the twilight series so we'll have to wait and see and when macaulay calkin if that's even close to being a reality if that's the case <laughs> i'd like to know how i mean that that's just if he's going to play that character that's a hard thing to do i mean you've got joaquin phoenix playing it this later this year and you've already had two actors that have defined those roles, uh, defined that role already. And having Macaulay Culkin step into those shoes, that's a, that's a tough task for any actor at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, like you, I also would have liked Ben Affleck to have a little more time because I don't think he was the, you know, I had problems with Batman v Superman and Justice League, but I don't think he was the problem in either of them, and I thought he was a good Batman. No, no, I, I just think it was, I think it was just a poor writing job all around. I don't mm-hmm. think it was, I, I think Henry Cavill and Batfleck, 
uh, Ben Affleck play very, pretty good, play the roles pretty good. Mm-hmm. I just think they were never have not been ever given a chance with good writing and a good narrative to be able to go ahead and and get that performance out of them that I think we we feel we deserve as as DC fans. Yeah, no, I I understand. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, my thing with Pattinson is that uh, he doesn't look imposing enough. Uh, I, I just don't think he has the look. Well, I, I feel like acting wise, he'll be able to pull it off. But we'll see. I mean, we've seen other actors bulk up, so oh. he. Well, might... I, I was telling somebody the other day to get out those, you know, those big. What do you go to the the general nutrition store and you buy those uh, <laughs> those big one thousand calorie drink mixes? Better, right. get, better get to those, or you know, get on the juice or something like they sure. do, you know, for you know, and that's you know. Well, we can't go there, but we won't go there. Right, but, right. Yes. But let, let's try to focus on Macaulay Culkin as the Joker, because I really want to know people's thoughts on this. It's just it, that's a hard role to fill, and with Joaquin right. Phoenix, who's considered by many one of the best actors in the in the world, to be playing that role after Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson have both had their chances mm. and great opportunities to do it. You see what happened with Jared Leto. Everybody thinks down about Jared Leto, and he's an excellent actor. I don't know. I just it's a tough call. <laughs> yeah, but if you saw Suicide Squad, you get why people have <laughs> are down on him. But anyway, um, Juliet, what do you think about Macaulay Culkin as uh, as the Joker? I mean, I'm gonna give him a shot. I even gave Suicide Squad a shot, but um, I kind of wish I hadn't afterwards because I love the Joker. I love the Joker as a character so much. And Mark Hamill's always going to be my favorite Joker, no matter what. But, I mean, he can't be any worse than uh, Jared in Suicide Squad. He can't. I say this. I'm going to knock on wood at the same time while I'm saying it. But, I mean, I think he'll. I think he's got a shot at making it his own too. I didn't think I was going to like Heath Ledger, mm-hmm. but you know what? He was a very different version of the Joker. He fit into the Nolan verse. And maybe Macaulay Culkin's going to fit into this particular version of Batman, and maybe he will rock it. It's about time. I think it'd be good for him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really, the idea of Macaulay Culkin as the Joker just amuses me, like, way too much. Um, I haven't really seen him in anything since the early 90s, so I don't really know um, what his acting, you know, chops are these days. Um, I just kind of have this idea of, like, Home Alone with Batman, of, you know, Macaulay Culkin as the Joker and, like, slapping his cheeks and going, ah, and leaving all these traps I mean, and stuff. Be, <laughs> I'm sorry, To what? be perfectly honest, he, he was a great prankster in that movie, so... Right, <laughs> right. So that's what I'm saying, you know. I... Well, wouldn't he be more like the Riddler, then? Don't, don't rain on my parade. <laughs> no, the Riddler would be more like uh, like like uh, highbrow kinds of stuff. Like I'm talking about just like the like leaving crap on the floor and having him trip and you know those kinds of jokes. So you know I think I think that would work for the Joker. So yeah, I just have this idea of this nostalgia filled Home Alone like kind of thing with a grown up, you know, Kevin from the Home Alone movies, <laughs> and Batman's trying to get at him. He's just leaving stuff out and and, and getting Batman all tripped up and. Gee. Do you have Joe Pesci playing Commissioner Gordon? Oh, oh! See, that actually would be really cool. I, I would like that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, James, have you joined us now? I think so. All right, we finally have James. So, James, how have you been doing? <laughs> Better with a nap. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, pretty good. Yeah. Not too shabby. All right, so what are you drinking today? Um, so I am making myself an Irish Woodfather, which is really just 
nothing special. It's just Irish whiskey and Irish cream. So it's just a lot of alcohol in a glass. Was that the reason for your enforced nap? Uh, no. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> have I had just have a rough week? It's just been one of those long weeks where like it just took forever to get to the end of it, mm. and nothing eventful happened the rest of the time. Okay. Well, hopefully this will be eventful enough. It'll wake you right up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, we were just discussing the rumor that Macaulay Culkin is going to be uh, playing the Joker and Matt Reeves the Batman. So, <laughs> what, what is, what are your thoughts on that, James? Yeah. So I came across that actually on my feed the other day. I was just like, oh, hmm. The image that they had set up next to it too was like one of the little bit more like modernized Jokers that we've seen. Mm. And I was just like looking at the two, and I was like, I mean, yeah, I can see it. I don't know how I feel about it, but yeah, I can see it. Because <laughs> I just, I was just like, I don't know what. Because I was trying to think of what Macaulay Culkin's done in acting. Right, I know that's the same problem enough I for have. me to be like, yeah, no, that fits him, Robert Pattinson, sure. Right. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is there's this big question mark around Macaulay Culkin because he kind of like fell off the map for decades. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, it'll, it'll be interesting. I mean. I, I gotta believe that they... I mean, well, first of all, I'm not... With all the villains that they're saying are gonna be in this movie, I'm guessing that most of them are gonna be cameos. Right. You know, I don't think we're gonna get, like, Joker, Penguin, Catwoman, Riddler, like, full-on, like, the original Adam West Batman movie. I think we're probably gonna get, like, little snippets of them, and then there's gonna be one character who's, like, the main villain or something. But who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe Warner has just really gotten to the point where they're just like, ah, oh, who cares? People will pay for a Batman movie. Let's just throw everything at it, so. Right. <laughs> I hope not. But, uh, all right. So, yeah, I think we're all just kind of in the one the world is this column on that one <laughs> but yeah I, I mean same thing with robert pattinson i'll give it a try um because i do like batman and and you know um you know we'll see you know what uh what we get with uh with um pattinson and potentially with culkin yeah i mean he can really channel that uh that broodiness he had in the twilight saga <laughs> so he's got the broody part of batman down yes yes <laughs> Yeah, I was just saying, he just needs to get the, you know, physique for Batman. (laughs) That's the hard part. (laughs) Right, but I mean, but you look at Christian Bale and how that man's body has varied based on the role that he has. So, I mean, it's not unheard of in Hollywood, so... Right, um, but not everybody's as crazy as Christian Bale either, so... (laughs) 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 All right, well... All right, so that's it for our five-minute controversy. Um... But uh, but yeah, before we talk about uh, Dark Phoenix, let's pause for a moment for this promo from another fine podcast. What is the Soul Forge podcast? Join your host Sean and guests as they talk about sex, geekiness, witchcraft, awkward dates, poetry, life, the universe, and tons more. Interviews have included writers, atheists, a rap star from Australia, a reality TV star, and a sex goddess from San Diego. If you have a story to share or just want to listen to one, check out the Soul Forge podcast. The Soul Forge. We're everywhere.
And we're back. And like I talked about at the top of the show, we are going to discuss uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix. But um, kind of curious, you know, before we talk about it, just to sort of uh, get a feel for how we all stand on the X-Men movies. Um, just, just a few, you know, just a few short sentences. What has been your feeling of the Fox X-Men movies in total before Dark Phoenix came out. So um, why don't we start with you, Juliet? I've enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes they feel a little rushed to me, but I've enjoyed watching where they've taken me and how they've dealt with the how they've dealt with the crazy timelines and so on <laughs> like that. Because X Men is one of those few comics that has so many different timelines. Half the time, you don't know which one you're in. Mm. But they're really good. I've, I, I'm entertained by them, and I think that was the point. Um, James, what about you? What is, how has been your, what's been your overall assessment of the uh, X Men films? Um, oh, I mean, I mean, are, we're we're talking the whole generation. Of yeah, the whole Fox from X-Men. from the 2000 X Men movie uh. to X Men Apocalypse. Before <laughs> you saw Dark Phoenix, what was your? How do you feel about the Fox X Men movies? Oh man, oh man. Um, I mean, neither here nor there. It was. It, it's always just kind of been like. I mean, when they first came out, I was you know like super stoked. It's like, oh yeah, X Men, cool. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, as I've grown with the movies and gotten older and stuff, I've just found myself kind of just in a general like well yeah maybe i'll watch it i don't know um they just haven't really been particularly exciting since like x-men 2 <laughs> where mm. i was just like i don't i'm not sure what you guys exactly want out of this franchise so okay and uh, gerald what about you well i was taking a look at your rankings the other day on <laughs> facebook and uh, i will tell you nathan i'm so happy for you that you've taken a lot more enjoyment out of the x-men series than i have okay uh like i mean i, I like like everyone else i've been watching it since the, since the get-go i've actually watched all of them as well and every time i go into it uh, i come out thinking that how is this going to fit into a timeline? And then after I've I've watched a few, of them, I realize that they at at you know the studio don't even have any clue exactly how to fit in the timeline. I mean, <laughs> everything is it's all incohesive. It's jumbled up. So I just in the latter years have tried to enjoy the pictures as best I can, for as much as I can. And I found you know a, a couple of them to be really really good experiences. But for the most part, I found them you know i go into the theater thinking that they're really going to go ahead and turn things around and and more often than not i've been burned by the by as far as and i know a lot of people have as well as by by some of the uh incoherent type of actions the you know the stuff like i said not fitting into the timeline but basically overall most of the movies have not met up with what even before i mean they, they've had the opportunity to go ahead and be you know, have that jump over the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they had they could have set the foundation really for something really special. And unfortunately, because so many hands have been in the in the in the cookie jar when it comes to the X Men franchise, it looks like it. And, and overall, it's been a hit and miss adventure from from the get go. And it's been sad to see for a lot of people out there who really follow the X Men to a T. Yeah. No. I mean, and and to be fair, I was. 
I've always been kind of at odds with people on the X-Men because I was like the one person back in 2000 when X-Men came out that didn't overwhelmingly just love the X-Men movie that they came out with because I had read a lot of X-Men comics, I'd watched the X-Men animated series, and I felt like the 2000 X-Men movie was completely underwhelming. And, um, you know, it wasn't until X2 that I really fell in love with the franchise. Um, but, but yeah, I mean... Uh, they certainly had their bad days. I, I do kind of call shenanigans that the timeline has been a real issue for people because uh, what I keep hearing is that with the McAvoy hat, uh, Fastbender movies, the best one was First Class, but that was the most screwed up one as far as timeline uh, goes. They had so many continuity errors um, in First Class that I'm kind of like, eh, I don't know if that's really the thing that's dragging people down because a lot of people look the other way with that one. Um, but... But yeah, no, I, I don't know. I, I feel like Fox has been hampered by this idea that they have to be quote unquote grounded, and I think that's one of the things that has hurt them the most, and why Marvel has overtaken them so quickly is that Marvel has done a better job of saying, "Hey, let's just embrace the comic book aspects of these things and go with it." Like, and and you know, this is almost a segue into Dark Phoenix. You know, just the fact that, like, Dark Phoenix, you know, they, they took so much out of that storyline. And other than the fact that Jean Grey, you know, gains this, this super powerful force, you know, they, they've pretty much done away with almost all of that storyline. And they also have never embraced the idea of planning ahead, which is another way that Marvel... Um, you know, uh, uh, beat them is because if Phoenix had been set up over the course of, you know, a couple of movies... I think we would have gotten a more powerful movie than what we got. Um, but that being said, I did actually enjoy Dark Phoenix, <laughs> which I know is not what many, how many people felt uh, uh, who watched the movie. Although I do wonder how many of the people commenting on the internet have actually seen the movie and how many have just judged the movie uh, without seeing it. Um, but uh, so with that being said, so um, what was your assessment of the movie? Uh, so James, what about, uh, how, let's start with you. Um, I mean, I went into it with really low expectations. Uh, I was just like, I, I don't know. Um, and, and in all honesty, like it isn't, it's not a bad movie. I mean, at least not by my definition of what are bad movies, which, uh, I mean, for me in the franchise, like the two, the, the two low, low points are like apocalypse mm-hmm. and X three. And so it, it like I have well, when I if when you I get, go is this well, hold on hold on I, I have to ask this question <laughs> are you counting uh Wolverine Origins Ugh, I always forget about that one. <laughs> okay, I was about to say, like, if you're not counting Wolverine movies as part of the franchise, then that's Like, that's fine. how bad that curious. one is. Right. I just forget it. I'm like, eh, it's that. It's not even worth considering. Um, no, but, but so I always feel, so with this movie, like, that's where I was, comparison-wise. I was like, I'm going to compare this movie to how I felt about those. And in all honesty, like, like the cinematography it wasn't terrible. Like the digital effects were good effects. Um, I did feel like the, like I read an article and I agree with the one thing that the guy said, cause there is a big complaint about, Oh, the action, the action just doesn't feel like an X-Men movie. <laughs> and the article, the, the guy who wrote the article is just like, exactly what action do you want in an X-Men movie? <laughs> like, are you wanting them to all be John Wick with mutant powers or are you just wanting them to be 
just the X-Men, you know, in the comics, because I think they're nailing most of that. So, yeah, like I, I walked out of it going, yeah, it wasn't bad. It w- like, I do. I think it's the greatest film. No, but it wasn't like a horrible, horrible movie by like what critics have like been putting out there with like the Rotten Tomatoes score. I don't think it really deserves that. Yeah, well, and it's funny because to me, the action scenes were one of the highlights of the movie because I felt like, especially everything that Magneto does, like my wife and I were cheering at some of those scenes, like when he like raises the subway car out of the ground and everything, we were like, oh my god, holy crap, and when he crushes the train, you know, around the aliens and stuff, Mm -hmm. it's just like, that's amazing, that was like so good and so well done, and so like, I was really hyped, I thought the action scenes were were a highlight, but uh, you know, I guess to each their own on on that, it's, it's, it's funny, I think if Marvel had never done the MCU, and, but we had gotten the exact same X-Men, you know, like, it didn't affect Fox at all, and Fox had put out the same movies they put out, everyone's opinion of the X-Men movies would be higher. But because it isn't Avengers Endgame, I think that people are rating this movie far, far lower than it deserves. Um, but uh, but Juliet, what did you think about uh, Dark Phoenix overall? Okay, let me preface this by saying I loved the first three movies, including Last Stand. Wolverine Origins was crap. Um, But I have to agree, First Class is kind of on the low end of the totem pole for me, but I also enjoyed Apocalypse. So, and as I said in the beginning, uh, my introduction, my real big introduction into the X-Men, other than a passing familiarity with it, was from the very first movie. Mm -hmm. But I went into Dark Phoenix not sure what I was expecting. I know the Phoenix story, and I was hoping to see more of that than I saw in Last Stand, which had none of that. Right. Because uh, I really liked the idea of Jean being this incredibly powerful person on her own, and then this amazing force just finding her and finding her compatible and just merging with her mm-hmm. and not wanting to let go. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea. So I was really hoping for that. And like the last trailer that came out before the movie actually premiered just showed me that. And I was like, oh my God, maybe this is finally what I'm looking for. And to be perfectly honest, it was a lot more than I was hoping for. So mm-hmm. I was extraordinarily pleased with what I saw. I saw Jean in this, out in space, in the spaceship, holding it together, and the Phoenix Force merging with her. And I was like, yes, thank you. That's all I wanted to see. You hit that one beat for me. Everything else is hopefully <laughs> going to be amazing. <laughs> and it was, though. Like, I yeah. got to agree with you. We were all cheering on Magneto <laughs> everything he did. <laughs> Oh yep. my gosh! Was it in Last Stand where he was like standing in the road and flipping cars right mm-hmm. and left? Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't matter who's playing him. Magneto is amazing and wonderful. Some people felt like he was a bit off character, like he swapped from, "Look, you just got to let it go, Gene. You've got to learn how to stop." To, "Whose blood is that?" <laughs> and I get that, but then again, Magneto also points out that he walks a fine line, and he is like one moment away from tipping over that line at any point, mm-hmm. and he hit that point when he found out whose blood it was. I'm like, yep, no, it's cool. That's totally within character, right? Mm-hmm. But I thought that uh, I thought that Dark Phoenix. I felt Je- okay, Jessica Chastain. Is that who I'm thinking of? Uh, the, the the yeah the the one who the alien the primary alien. Yeah, I did feel that her part could have been expanded, and I look Mm -hmm. forward to hopefully seeing some deleted scenes on the DVD when it comes out, because I want to see more of her and how she fit into it. I felt like her part could have been bigger, but I also felt like she almost, 
She was one of those people, many people that we've seen in the comics where the, they take on a portion, not even the full Phoenix Force, but just a portion, and it starts to burn them away from the inside. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many other people felt like they saw that, but I felt like I saw it, which was really cool to me. Um, I don't know. What did you think about that part? I mean, did you see that part too? Is it just me? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, well, that's kind of leads to the whole resolution of it is, is like, she can't take in all that energy, you know, and she ends up burning up uh, from it. But, you know, yeah, that's the, uh, that's the thing that I have heard, the rumor that I've heard that with the reshoots, it is her role that changed the most. Like, apparently the reshoots, like, changed her character considerably. So I, this movie, because it has been plagued by problems and reshoots and everything, and apparently Marvel leaned in a little bit because because even though Fox wasn't owned by Marvel while they were, you know, editing it, Mar they knew kind of that Marvel was going to step in, and so they actually let the Marvel people have some say in everything. It, I, I, I would love to, like, see the different, like, changes that were made to the movie and what was different about what we finally got versus what they originally planned because one of the other rumors that i've heard is that originally this movie was a lot closer to captain marvel and ended with a big space battle at the end oh that's what it was close to yeah and so that's that's you know uh that would be interesting i mean but but again marvel you know because they were able to uh you know put some pressure on them was like hey wait a minute we have a movie coming out earlier that year that's going to have like kind of like the same kind of ending you can't do that and so they had to do reshoots and make it a little more tighter focused just on gene and the personal connection she had with the other characters which i'm not sure hurt the movie um but but I'm gonna save my thoughts for for, for once you guys have gone. But uh, so Gerald, what do you think about the movie overall? I like many of you had the same low expectations going in because it's a, essentially it's a lame duck film. Mm. I mean, when you go in there, we already know that the franchise in its current form is not going to continue. Many, if not all, these stars are not going to be able to have their their roles going down the road because Marvel's going to probably have some different ideas on how it's going to integrate the X-Men in the future into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So you have these low expectations going in and then you see, you know, you see the reviews, Metacritic, Rotten Tomatoes, you get wind of all this stuff going on and, and you, oh gosh, what am I going to get myself into? But you know what? It wasn't that bad a movie. Uh, I, I, like I said, uh, unlike was agreed upon, Apocalypse, I think was pretty much a letdown. I think that was pretty much, pardon the pun, the last stand I think for the X-Men <laughs> franchise because that would could have if that would have been a hit I think that would have changed a lot of perspective as far as the X-Men series was going to be going long term but you know this movie I think is better than the flat X-Men Apocalypse you know even though they did change the latter half of the movie because of all the like what was talked about because of all the rumors and all the I guess inherent likenesses to Captain Marvel which was coming out early actually in fact it wasn't coming out earlier mm -hmm. yeah, originally it would have been yeah originally Dark Phoenix would have been first if they'd come out in November of last year exactly so that was uh, it looked like obviously Marvel had their say into it as far as 
hey, it's too much like this, so let's go ahead and change this around. And you can see that uh, as far as the whole changes, you know, you, you can get the sense that it, ha- it felt off like a different beat. And we've seen movies like this before, like Justice League and, and Rogue One, where it's actually different facets uh, looking behind the camera. One director sees it one way, and then you see another director seeing it another way. Mm-hmm. But overall, I didn't think this was a bad representation of the X-Men franchise. I don't think it's certainly a shining moment in the X-Men franchise, but I don't think it went out on the totally awful note that the numbers are dictating at this point in time. So. Yeah, I, I think it's really, you know, I already mentioned, I think it's unfortunate that it's gotten the rap that it's gotten because I think that people are comparing it to Avengers Endgame, and I think that's totally unfair because it never was going to be because the X-Men movies haven't set up a storyline in advance, and they don't even have the number of characters and the number of movies to fall back on to do something like Endgame. Um, but but yeah, as far as you know, the movie itself goes, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I think it hewed a lot closer um, to what I wanted from a Phoenix storyline than Last Stand. Um, I'm kind of glad that they dropped this whole idea that Gene was always the Phoenix that sort of Last Stand went with and even Apocalypse was trying to go with and it's sort of like they kind of forgot like oh yeah in the previous movie we had her already like calling on the Phoenix Force but you know let's forget about that um because I think that the idea of Jean being possessed by this thing and having this ultimate power and then the fact that, you know, any emotional sway that you have, like, has real-world consequences is an interesting story. And I like that a whole lot more than just, like, oh, yeah, she's always been the Phoenix and she's just losing control of it, um, uh, which they've gone with in the past. I also feel like the other improvement that they made over Last Stand was that, yeah, they threw in the whole thing of Jean being the Phoenix, but Last Stand was mostly about that cure storyline that they wanted to do and so it's like you're trying to do the phoenix and but then you have this whole other plot that's really what the movie's driving towards and this movie really focused on the phoenix as the central plot of the movie which i think was important and i think allowed it to have a lot more heart than it would have had otherwise so um uh, you know, I, I, again, I mean, I got to the end of it and even though the ending wasn't surprising to me, I kind of saw it coming. I really enjoyed the journey getting there. And while it's not my favorite of all the X-Men movies, I still think it's in, it's, it's better than a lot of them. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, I was kind of happy, uh, going out of the movie theater, um, But let's get uh, a little more into the details here and let's talk about the cast. Um, so, Gerald, let's start with you. Uh, who Who is a character that was in this movie? That Who was who your favorite character in this movie? Let's let's do it that way. I'd have to go with the Fassbender. Mm-hmm. I think I think you were very much right with what you said as far as your um, assessment of the Magneto character. I think that one is a very difficult character to screw up. I think uh, if, if you have the right actor... And Fassbender is truly a great actor, along with Sir Ian McKellen. I think it's it's really difficult to mess that character up, no matter how bad the writing is. You could still have that, as long as you still have that tunnel vision for why he has so much anger in his in his life, and anger in what he does, and motivations for what he does. Even when the story or when the narrative breaks down around him, like it did in, in you know several movies over the course of the X Men franchise, in my opinion. 
you still have – I don't want to use the pun again because I've already gone to the pun well once. But he has that type of personality that, that draws people in simply because of where he stands. And obviously, it's, it's to me, that Fassbender does uh, such a solid, very solid job. Sometimes it's really good. Especially when he his character becomes a focus or, of the storyline, I think it gives him a chance to shine, and I think he really gets interested in it. It's when he is part of the cast or part of the ensemble that you see him almost like getting a little bit disinterested in, in uh, being just part of one of the crew or one of the gang or one of the X-Men. It's when you see him really take to the forefront that, that Fassbender really shines and yeah, I think at, at points of time during the movie, I think when he is given that chance to shine, he really doesn't. Yeah, I think Fassbender has been the MVP of this whole run of, of these last four X-Men movies. Um, I, I think he's been the shining star of all of them because uh, I didn't think anyone... Like, I, and I loved Ian McKellen as Magneto. Uh, Magneto is one of my favorite characters in the X-Men mythos. And I felt like Ian McKellen did a fantastic job playing it. I love, I think that the fact that Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart's are friends off screen helped a lot with their chemistry on screen as well. You got that sort of synergy there because to me, one of the really core components of that dynamic is that Professor Xavier and Magneto are best friends, but they have opposing political ideologies you know, and that's and that's where their conflict comes in is that they both very strongly believe in their ideologies, but they also genuinely like and respect each other. So I always loved that aspect of the first three. Um, with Fastbender and McAvoy, I don't ever feel like that aspect has been as strong. But Fastbender has that rage, that barely restrained rage. You know, we saw it as the Nazi hunter in um, in, in first class. You know, uh, we saw that with, uh, you know, what they did with his family and Apocalypse and, you know, in this movie when, you know, Mystique is dead and all of that. I feel like he's always done this great job showing like this, this anger that Magneto has. And, and that's to that charisma or that magnetism that you were talking about uh, of him as 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 an actor. So, no, I I totally agree with you. I think that they gave um, him some some good stuff to work with on this one. And I didn't mind the who's blood. Is it because, you know, I mean, I heard that complaint too, but I I don't understand it because he's genuinely curious. He's not like shouting at her. He's just like, Gene, whose blood is it? You know, like, because he's trying to figure out what's gone on. Why has she come to him? You know, and he knows that that's probably going to lead to the answer. And, you know, and it's not until he finds out from, you know, uh, Beast you know, who it is that he really gets angry about it. So I don't know. I, I, I think that he did a good job in this movie. Um, so, uh, James, uh, and Juliet, do you guys have anything to add about Magneto? I mean, other than the fact that he's just really amazing and awesome. No, not really. <laughs> okay. uh, uh, James, did you like Fastbender in this one? I mean, he could open a refrigerator door really easy. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I I think he's been great as Magneto. Yeah, I've I've never had a complaint about the way he portrays the character. I do like the fact that he somehow makes the role his own, but also emulates the role to be similar to what we saw Ian McKellen uh, mm -hmm. kind of represent and everything. So I like that for continuity and timeline purposes, as wonky as it is a little bit, <laughs> that, that all kind of just maintains, like we still feel like we've always been with that character. No. And he ages remarkably well. 
Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> That's one of my things about these movies of how they've tried to do like one for each decade and it's been like but it's kind of ridiculous when you look at Beast, Xavier and Magneto. You know, Mystique has the out of she's a shapeshifter. But like the rest of them it's just like you look only a few years older than you did in first class. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, well, and that's what I, like, ultimately years later. I did get hung up on was kind of that a little bit. I was like, wait, I need to do math. Uh... <laughs> right, they should be 30 years older than they were in first class, and they look, you know, eight or nine years older. <laughs> that X gene. That's, that's right, yeah. Yeah, but then apparently between now and 2000, they're going to just, like, go, you know, all to pot and <laughs> age a whole lot. But... Um... Uh, so, um, so James, um, besides Magneto, then who's a, who's a character that you want to talk about for this movie? Um, I mean, I liked the little cameos that they did for some characters and everything. That was kind of nice. Uh, it's about how I felt about Quicksilver's role, which was really disappointing <laughs> to me for this movie. I was just like, "Oh, come on! Like he's out that quick? Like, and he just he's just." He's just messed up the whole rest of the time, except for the end where he can make a quip. And I was like, ah, oh, I love this character. Why? Well, but here's the thing. And, and here's kind of the, the curse of this movie that's also its blessing is if they gave all the characters equal time, it wouldn't be a movie about the Phoenix because right. they didn't set it up. I mean, and that's the thing. Yeah. In a perfect world, would I have loved them to have set this movie up over the course of four, you know, have Jean get the Phoenix Force, have her be like part of the team and overpowering all the bad guys and then have her slowly, you know, uh, become corrupted by the absolute power? Yes, absolutely. But we didn't get that. So, at the, so right. it's almost like, you know, you can't give everyone equal time. So, I mean, they put Quicksilver in because he was a fan favorite. Right. He got some jokes in. <laughs> You oh, know. I know. I know. No, yeah. I think more than anything, honestly, I really liked, I really liked Hank. I really liked mm. Beast in this. Okay. Um, I like the, A, I like the actor's portrayal um, of the character in terms of just representing, like, who he is. And he is. He's he's a scientist. He's a very in, in, intelligent individual. Um, I was questioning some of their technology when he was checking her heart rate and DNA and everything. I was like, wait a second. How did they get stuff that we have now? I'm so confused. Um, well. But then I went, well, Hank's just that smart. <laughs> yeah, he's so, just that smart. <laughs> so, it's a comic book movie, James. I know, I know, I know. Uh, Being a couple decades yeah. ahead of the times is not... Right. <laughs> Well, and I, I mean, I liked how um, he calls Charles on it. Like, he, he holds the Charles responsible for what he's responsible for. Like, no more, no less. But it's just like, you, you got to own this. Like, just say it. Um, and yeah, until, like, the bitter end. Like, Charles is very much, like, feeling like, no, no, you're wrong. Uh, and, and I knew what I was doing. And um, so seeing Hank go kind of, yeah, good guy to the dark side of, like, no. Like, she killed the person I love. I don't care if that's not Jean or it is Jean. It doesn't matter to me. She has to pay. She has to be punished. So I will go to whatever means that requires to avenge the woman I love. And I was just like, oh, it's like a just one of those wonderful Shakespearean stories right there. Yeah. 
<laughs> Although I tell you, I almost need a scorecard to know like what's going on with Mystique's relationships in any of these movies because uh, you know it's like I'm like, oh, are they back to you know? Because it's like every time it's like, oh, is wait, is Mystique with Charles, Magneto, or Beast in this one? I, I'm not sure because you know they kind of played the round robin here, um, and so I was kind of like for a bit, I was kind of like, wait, are they just friends or oh no, they're back together? Okay, it's Beast and her. Okay, I got it. But um, um. Yeah, um, the one thing, the one problem that I have with Beast, and that has just niggled me, and I get it's a cost-savings move, I get that the actors like it, is how he can go back to, like, a human form. Mm-hmm. To me, that, like, ruins the whole idea of Beast being bestial and having that be a problem because he can't pass as a regular human like a lot of them can. It's the same issue Nightcrawler has. You know, right. and so I, I just, I've never liked that whole thing of, oh yeah, just when I get angry, I can turn into this beast thing. I just, ah. I wish they hadn't gone that route with these, but, but no, I agree with you, and I, like you, I really enjoyed the fact that Xavier's hubris was kind of front and center in this movie because I feel like they've never. You know, in prior movies, when they talk about Xavier putting blocks in Jean's mind, they've never really. You know, they've never really called him out on it as a morally questionable decision. And right. I'm glad that they did that in this. And I'm glad that they sort of talk about the fact that Xavier is manipulative, you know, and that's and that's one of the things he he always does it with the best intentions. But at the same time, he feels like he knows better. And so I, I, I did like that. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, Gerald or Juliet, did you have anything you wanted to add about Beast? Not about Beast, no. I thought okay. he was was a great performance, though. Sure, I, I pretty much concur with that. Yeah, just uh, just a very good performance overall. I think uh, you know that for what it was worth. What I don't know. Do you think he's better than Kelsey Grammer? Because I still have, like you said, because Kelsey Grammer could go around blue everywhere. I just think that. It accentuated the Beast character a little bit better. Well, no, I prefer Kelsey Grammer as the Beast. We only got him in one movie, really. I mean, there was the cameo in uh, in uh, uh, Future Pass. Yeah, well, I'm just saying I like I like Kelsey Grammer's Beast better. Oh no, no, and I think that he's more of that, you know, because of the way Kelsey Grammer talks. He has more of that, you know, sort of erudite. You know, like thing that I come to expect from the Beast, but um, but I mean, Nick Holt's version is good. It's just you know not my preferred version. But yeah, no, I would have liked to have seen Kelsey get more. Well, maybe time. he's upset because he lost out on the Batman. Right. Well, the problem with Kelsey also though is that he can't. He doesn't have the physicality. You, you get what I mean? Like he can't do. The, he couldn't do the action scenes. You know that that the Beast should be able to do because I mean the man is what in his sixties now. Um, so I mean that's you know. That's that's not going to happen. Um, but uh, so Juliet. Um, so we talked about Beast. We talked about Magneto. Is there a character, another character that you'd like to talk about? I mean, I want to give first off props to Sophie Turner because she totally rocked the Phoenix and Jean Grey and the struggle within. And I just feel like I shouldn't discount her just because the movie's about her. Mm-hmm. But I love James McAvoy. And don't get me wrong. I'm mm. a Patrick Stewart girl all the way. He, there's a picture of me and him sitting right across from me in my living room. <laughs> where I'm dressed as the Dark Phoenix. Mm. But I want to piggyback on what you guys were saying. The fact that we got Charles called out on his arrogance. Because that's what it was. He thought he knew he what he was doing mm-hmm. was best. He thought that he could fix all of this. And I love the scenes where he's shaking hands and mingling. 
And the fact that everybody else is trying to remind him, what are you doing? I mean, yeah, kudos. You want to make, you know, mutants okay in the minds of the people. But look how quickly they turn, Mm -hmm. the people in general. And McAvoy, I thought, did a really good job of portraying Charles's realization. And, you know, Hank's come to Jesus talk with him. You know, you're kind of, you know, look at what you're doing. Look at how many lives you are screwing up and you can't even realize it. And it takes him till the end to be able to really accept the fact that he has indeed screwed up a lot. And how can he how can he truly fix this or at least help someone else realize how to fix this? I don't know. I thought it was a wonderful performance. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you see, I mean, the the writing, I think, was good for Charles also, because you see the whole thing of Mystique calling him out on, you know, like, when have you, like, put anything on the line? And so then he's the one coming with them when they're, you know, uh, trying to talk with Gene and going into the situation, you know, against Magneto and all of them. And, you know, at the end, though, you know, what do we see? He resigns. You know, I mean, he's basically taking responsibility for the fact that all the bad stuff that happened was because of the decisions that he made. Um, and oh, I totally loved that. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. And I thought that that was, like, amazing. And I would have loved to have seen, I mean, I guess technically if you watch the, the TV stuff, the TV show The Gifted is sort of the postulated future of this version of the universe. But um, I would have loved to have seen that carried forward a little more. Um, because I, I, I liked that take, um, and I liked that, you know, Xavier has to sort of own up for that stuff, so, and I think McAvoy did a great job with it, and I think that, um, you know, we, we got some real, you know, uh, range, just because of the fact of, yeah, I mean, he's trying to, he's trying to kiss up to the the humanity, um, and, uh, and yeah, that was, it was, it was good, um, so yeah, since uh, since you guys uh, each took uh, um, one of the ones that I want to talk about, I'm going to talk about uh, Mystique, um, who is the other first class person we still have around in these series. Um, she's been getting a lot of flack. <laughs> I don't know if people have been seeing it online. Um, a lot of people said that uh, Jennifer Lawrence was just kind of sleepwalking through the movie. Um, I'm not sure that that's really true. Um, the script doesn't give her a whole lot to go with. She's got the one scene with Charles where she confronts him and gets really angry with him about not putting stuff, you know, himself on the line and, you know, calling him out. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, that's part of the problem is, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, A, didn't want to do this one. I'm pretty sure she only did it because they were going to kill her off. And, you know, uh, so I don't think that they gave her a lot to work with script wise. Um, my, my main issue with Mystique remains the same one that I have with the Beast is it's like, okay, so you go out in the field and you look like Mystique, but when you come back to the mansion with other mutants where you should feel the most relaxed, that's when you put on your, your pretty normal human face. You know, I just, I don't know. I just, this whole idea of, you know, if she's supposed to live mutant and proud or whatever it was that she said in the earlier movies, it just seems like, shouldn't you be more you know, open to looking like a mutant? And again, I understand Jennifer Lawrence hates the makeup. It's a cost savings thing also, but mm, that kind of stuff just mm, always niggles at me. Um, but, but I'm curious about everyone else's thoughts. Cause I know Jennifer Lawrence has been one of the polarizing aspects of this movie for people. So, um, James, did you have a problem with her performance in this? Yeah. 
Um, I I did. It was like one of the first things I actually said where uh, after we walked out, I was like, what is it with Jennifer Lawrence and episodic movies where she does <laughs> a series? Because by the time she gets to the end of the series, she doesn't want to be there. Yeah. And and I do. I see it interacting. I mean, it was that way in the Hunger Games. Like by the time we get to the last of those movies, I was like, God, she just looks so disinterested, like with everything. Like I I feel like she it doesn't feel like she wants to be there. And that's kind of how I felt with this is I mean, she was saying the words and she was acting the words, but something about it just I don't know, it felt hollow. It didn't feel like a genuine presentation to me. Mm. Um I think the most genuine part of it was when she dies. And I think that's because, you know, and in my head, I was just like, maybe she was just like, yeah, we'll do that scene. And then I'm done. I'm out. Peace. <laughs> so it, like, that's why she just sold it. But I don't you, know. you know, they don't shoot the scene sequentially, right, James? <laughs> well, I mean, I do, but I still feel like that, like, that might have been, maybe that was the problem. They filmed that one first. And oh. all of the other scenes, she was just like, oh, why am I here? I'm already dead. Come on. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> Gerald, what do you think about uh, Mystique? Uh, I agree. I think she, you know, if, if she were a member of the post office, she'd be mailing it in because she mailed it in. All right, because it, uh, uh, you could tell she just didn't want to be there. She did the Han Solo thing where, you know, uh, obviously everybody knows by now that Harrison Ford actually wanted to die and return of the Jedi, didn't get his wish there. So he got his wish finally, what? You know how many years later? So mm-hmm. it looks like she uh, didn't want to be there, and uh, yeah, if that's that's her case, you know they they did their best to go ahead and and send her out in style. Yeah, I don't know, but see, I still come down to like how much did the script really give her to work with? She's got that really great scene with Charles where she's chewing him out in his office, and otherwise, there's not a whole lot that they're giving her. Just a lot of like you know, concerned, like, hey, is the team safe kind of stuff, and, you know, the odd, like, Gene, I'm not going to hurt you, you know, I mean, I don't know, I don't feel like she had a whole lot to go on um, with the movie. Um, uh, Juliet, what do you think about Mystique? I didn't have a problem with her. Um, Like I said, unpopular opinions all over the place. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, But I, I have to agree. I will say I disliked her turning back into looking like a normal person when she got back to the mansion mm-hmm. not cool for her entire background mm-hmm. um but uh other than that i thought it was interesting to see her in a weirdly mothering mystique in a mothering place and mm-hmm. her portraying it that way like she's so worried and watching over these new new young x-men and I, I like that. I really liked her confrontation with Charles. I was I was very sad when she died, and I did not cry. No, no tears, but I was sad. But mm-hmm. I don't feel like she necessarily just phoned it in. I, I still thought she was pretty darn good, especially for, again, what they gave her. Hmm. Yeah, no, I like I said, I agree with you on that one. But let's talk about... Um, our, our our central figure of the movie because we kind of danced around it. You mentioned her, um, Juliet, but uh, so we have um, Sophie Turner as Jean Grey. Um, I've heard a lot of criticism about her too, and I've got to say on this one, I think it's completely wrong. You know, with Mystique, I get where the comments are coming from, but I think it's more script than than Jennifer Lawrence. Um, 
I I felt like she conveyed the tension that needed to be conveyed of this barely restrained, you know, force within her incredibly well. You know, like, this was a movie that, for a lot of the movie, I was kind of just you know, on the edge because I never knew when it was going to go crazy. You know, there's a scene where she's confronting her father and everything starts shaking and you're like, Oh crap. She's like going to like disintegrate him or something. She's just upset. And then she's like, it's not me. And then it's, Oh, okay. You see the blackbird descending and you know, Oh, okay. That's what's causing the house to shake. But like, I was kind of on the edge of my seat. And I think a lot of that is based on her performance as I kept wondering when was everything going to go crazy? When was she going to lose it? And, and, you know, I thought that she did a pretty good job, you know, with with that. Um, so, uh, Gerald, let's start with you this time. What did you think about Sophie Turner as Jean? Well, it just comes down to the material that she was given. I think that's uh, I think when it comes to her, I think she did a very good job, despite everything that was going on, the reshoots and everything you mm. could, that you could see that somewhat a little bit of a cohesive in it, cohesive issue when it comes to one part of the movie to the other, but her character as a whole, I think the way she was dealt with, I think uh, she did a, she did a, she did a very admirable job. I, I don't have any complaints about her um, coming off the game of Thrones as well, where, where she acquitted herself pretty good. Uh, she wasn't my favorite character on the series, but she was, she was someone that I think, uh, you know, acquitted herself well there. And when it comes to the X-Men movie, especially when you're talking about dark Phoenix, it, the Dark Phoenix storyline, as you know, is such a hard one to detail in such a short period of time. And that's mm. that, to me, is the biggest complaint I have heard. Um, I have people on the show and also as well my co-host are, are super ardent comic book fans that were very adamant to say that not only couldn't you do it before, but you still can't do it now within the confines of a two-hour narrative and still give that proper respect to the dark phoenix storyline and i think mm -hmm. with what she was given i think she she did a she did a really good job with it i just think the the you know the narrative issues and the, and the writing that was done i think those kind of let her down a little bit i think but uh, her performance in and of itself i think she embodies the spirit of dark phoenix very well juliet what do you think i want to say first of all there's no despite there's no but in this she did an amazing job in my opinion um, and it's not just, I, I want to, let me find my thought. There we go. In the beginning, <laughs> in the beginning, when you see her as a kid, um, you see Jean before she ever encounters the Phoenix and you see her struggling with being a telepath and being unable to control it, being unable to truly shut out the voices of everybody else in her head mm. and it goes to show you exactly how powerful she really is and she has no clue i i mean that's young Jean, but it sophie turner carries that forward even before she has the encounter with the phoenix force and i want to point out although the movie is called dark phoenix she still isn't necessarily always dark because she still is phoenix as well the the being that is just joyful and everything and somewhat less wrathful. Um, you see it a little bit when she's at the party with Scott and, oh my God, I don't want to think about Dazzler. Oh, <laughs> so awful. <laughs> well, I want to get to Dazzler in a minute. I, I was going to mention some stuff, but yeah, talk about Jean. <laughs> okay. So, 
I mean, you see it in that party, and it's such a, it can be almost a throwaway scene where she's just happy and excited. And for the first time in a long time, she doesn't seem burdened by anything. And I feel like that is the Phoenix force within her, just helping her feel that way until all of those people is just becomes too much one more time. And, you know, just she lashes out at them. I feel like her struggling with that force is shown more and more throughout the movie to the point where she, Charles is up there. She's made him walk painfully. It looks like horribly. And he reaches through to her and she's pointing out, I don't know what to do. I love that. I love her quick flashes where you can see Jean's personality just being subsumed by the dark Phoenix just so quickly and and even Jean struggling to come back out of it. I thought Sophie Turner did an amazing job with it and I don't I don't think that there's any but or despite in regards to the material. I just thought she was wonderful and I have to give her kudos for doing that especially in a movie where that can't be contained uh, that cannot contain a saga in a tiny movie. It's mm. she did a wonderful job. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a good point. I mean, because again, I mean, contrasting it with Last Stand, I mean, part of the problem there is okay. Jean becomes the Phoenix, and what does Jean do? She goes around basically killing all the men in her life, or trying. You know, she kisses Scott and disintegrates him for some reason. She tries to disintegrate Wolverine by kissing him, and then she disintegrates Xavier apparently for you know and it's just like all right you know like but there's never like any kind of underpinning to any of that in this i do want to point out we all wanted to disintegrate scott well okay <laughs> it's true but based on her character in prior movies that didn't make much sense for her but um but yeah so I, but but what i liked about this is that they gave us the emotional underpinning. You know, they gave us what was going on. They explained to us why she would feel the things that she feels, and then it's just because she has all this power that she can't control how it goes crazy around her. So I liked that, and I think that they did a much better job of giving her that trauma, you know, by showing us through that trauma, you know, why she has, you know, difficulty in the first place. But then secondly, it's like, oh, now everybody's like, you know, first Xavier's lied to me. Now all of you are sort of supporting him. Now you, now Magneto's trying to kill me, you know, and you guys are here too. Are you trying to kill me and all that? So, um, I liked that. And I thought that her motivations were a lot easier to follow in this. And I think that they, they conveyed that well. Um, but James, what, what was your assessment of the gene character? Uh, um, I mean, no, I honestly don't have anything really negative to say. Um, I've never really had a problem with Sophie Turner for the role. Um, I felt like she, like, like look-wise, I felt like she felt into the shoes of just the look of kind of a Jean Grey uh, pretty well. Um, you know, I I wasn't sure about her initial casting, and that's only because all I'd seen her do was Game of Thrones. So I was like, I don't know. But I've been pleasantly surprised uh, as far as her entire representation um, – of the character, her representation with the relationship with Scott. Um, like, I felt... Well, I see, felt that's like... the thing. I felt like that was part of one of the weakest things about the movie is because it wasn't set up very... I mean, Apocalypse right. does a little bit with it, but we skip from them meeting for the first time in Apocalypse to now they're supposed to be, like, you know, in love and everything else, and it's kind of like... I felt like... But, but the problem, or the thing was... 
unlike the comic book Phoenix Saga or the animated Phoenix Saga, the fact that their love wasn't a huge part of the storyline. Like, Spot, Scott wasn't her tether that kept right. her from going, you know, off the rails. So since they didn't utilize the relationship, I felt like it was okay. Like, this version, the movie version, didn't utilize the relationship, didn't pin everything on their relationship. And so it was kind of okay that we didn't feel as strongly about that relationship. But I feel right. like I really wish there had been another movie in between Apocalypse and this, because that's one of the things that I felt like needed to get developed. Not only would I have liked to have seen them build up the alien stuff in another movie to, to give that more, you know, so they could have done more with it but also to just have scott and gene and just watch their relationship develop instead of going from beginning to end <laughs> you know it's just kind of like oh okay yeah sure all right yeah anyway. yeah well and i mean i so i i i think i don't know i think her character is the one they crunched the numbers for the best like mm. they made her the focus of the show i mm-hmm. agree entirely with like how um she she it, it's it's a slip into the pat word and stuff and as i said like more and more of herself is kind of vanishing um and we just see that as a progressive thing it's not zero to kill um in two seconds kind of thing so yeah no i had no problem with her no um i think for me you know moving on to i mean because a lot of the characters were just cameos like you mentioned james even if they were on the x-men quicksilver was basically a cameo storm was a cameo i mean it's kind of sad to say but it's like their role in the movie was kind of just i mean quicksilver was a little bit less than the others but like a lot of they were they were background compared to you know as xavier magneto you know uh beast um, Gene and Scott were kind of the forefront characters there, and a lot of the other X-Men were just there to use their powers um, and, and didn't get a whole lot of screen time or a lot of dialogue. Um, but um, the, the our other main character really was Jessica Chastain and her Dabari alien, which ironically I've learned that originally the aliens were going to be the Skrulls, but that was another issue with Captain Marvel where Marvel told them no, no, no. <laughs> You can't make them scrolls. Um, I don't know why we couldn't have Shi'ar in this movie, since that would have, you know, actually been something from the Phoenix Saga, but oh well. Um, I kind of get why Jessica Chastain is a little miffed about the movie. I mean, apparently, like, she did not like what happened with her character in the reshoots. Um, She's the one problem I have with the movie, because I... I felt like her motivations were so murky and, you know, I don't know. I, I, I felt like she was such a one dimensional villain that I did not get a whole lot from her. I mean, it's great because Jean should be the focus of the story and Jean is both a hero and villain within the story anyway. So we got that pivot, but, uh, yeah, I feel like if they weren't going to give us Shi'ar, they should have just skipped aliens entirely, but I'm just kind of curious what people feel about, about her performance and just that idea of did, did we really need the, the, you know, aliens in this, um, if we weren't going to do it right. Uh, so, uh, let's start with you this time, Juliet. She, She's the one issue I also had with it. I felt like her character either should have been more mm-hmm. or she didn't need to be there, really. Mm-hmm. I liked having the aliens, even if they weren't Shi'ar. I like the idea that we get the point of, hey, this force has already committed practically genocide. Mm-hmm. 
Which is a big thing in the comics, if I recall. Uh, Dark Phoenix actually, didn't she get sentenced to death for just destroying an entire planet full of people? Yeah. So I liked that introduction. I liked the aliens for that reason. But her character, while her acting was great, her, her character didn't really do anything for me. I thought from the trailer, practically, that she was going to be inside Jean's head, and that did worry me a little. So I was glad that that did not happen. But, yeah. I was wondering from the trailers if she was going to be, like, some sort of personification of the Phoenix Force. Like, in Jean's mind, the Phoenix is talking to her, and that's and that's what she is. But, yeah, I was not I was not expecting them, first of all, to pull the Dabari out of, like, you know, the fifth tier of the Marvel Universe. And I also, <laughs> it's like, I'm like, really? Of all the races in Marvel, that's what you're going with? But, um, but yeah, but also, yeah, I mean, I... The, the whole thing of our planet was destroyed and we want to terraform Earth. I mean, it just seemed so disconnected from anything remotely part of the Phoenix saga. So, well, I, I understand what you're saying because that gave us exposition about the Phoenix, which how would they have gotten that any without an alien force? But, yeah, I, uh, I feel like that part could have been improved or, like, I mean... We could have even had a scene where, like, Charles, like, is like, I touched the Phoenix's mind briefly, and this is what it is, and this is what I learned about it, or something, um, just to give us that exposition. But, you know, I, I liked having aliens, but I-, I-, I feel like the aliens, if they were going to have them, needed to be better. And if not, I felt like the Gene storyline was interesting enough on its own, and the conflict that was causing between Xavier and Magneto was enough on its own that that could have been a movie. Agreed. Um, Gerald, thoughts on uh, Jessica Chet? I can't even remember. Did her character have a name, or was she just Alien Woman? I can't remember. <laughs> well, that's that's probably because it's just she. Her character really wasn't needed. Right. I, I agree with you guys, he just just seemed like it was something that was part of the big picture, but didn't need to be part of the picture. And I think, like you said, the just the growth of the dark phoenix character and where it was going should have been enough should have been enough and did mm-hmm. not need anything else to try and uh accentuate it even more i think uh, unfortunately for jessica chastain who is a brilliant actress uh and has done such great work over the years that this will probably not be remembered as one of her finer roles and and james thoughts on jessica chastain yeah i just uh, yeah i mean aside from some part of pushing the plot forward but i agree with you guys like it wasn't needed like they could have found (laughs) way better ways to push the plot forward um which yeah i mean well and even the idea that someone wants to steal the phoenix force from gene there's unlimited number of mutants they could have introduced as that's their motivation of you know hey there's a super powerful entity i want to suck that out of her and have it you know have so you could still could have had that resolution at the end of you know this is how gene you know fixes things is by basically taking herself out of the equation by just giving the person the phoenix force so yeah i mean i think I think they they could have done it differently. Yeah, yeah. Well, and as said, I mean, when you have when you have an actress that is Jessica Chastain, like there's a whole lot more that can be done with her. And uh, as I said, it sounds like there was more done with her. And then I don't know, they shot themselves in the foot. Right, and she, yeah, her role is the one that I'm most interested in seeing the original version 
You know, I, I would love it if they did, like, a director's cut. You know, this is the original version. They probably won't. Marvel probably won't want that original version ever shown. But I am very curious about how different it was. Yeah, for sure. Um, But, yeah. um, So, Dazzler, because <laughs> Juliet brought her up. I wanted to mention it. So, for years, we've been hearing rumors, right, that, oh, they're going to include Dazzler in these movies. And it's always just been a rumor. And then we finally get Dazzler in... Dark Phoenix for five seconds. <laughs> and after it made such big waves of Dazzler's going to be part of Dark Phoenix. She was part of the original Phoenix saga in the comics and they're, they're, they're actually doing Dazzler, this and that. I was so, so underwhelmed by their Dazzler and I don't even know why that was a thing. I don't know why they mentioned it as a thing. I mean, I get that they like to throw in cameos, but it's like, why did it get such big bill? I'm, I'm wondering if, again, if she was a bigger character in the original version, because what we got was so pathetic that I was just, no, I mean, I'm glad they used that version of her because that's what I wanted. I wanted the disco dazzler. <laughs> so it was the original costume. The only thing that would have made it better is if she had roller skates. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I was so disappointed by Dazzler. Um, does anyone have any like knowledge or thoughts on, on, on Dazzler and what was going on there? Why they made such a big deal about her being there if she was only going to be in it for, I don't know, 10 seconds? 10 seconds too long. <laughs> Now, was that only because you didn't like her look, Juliet, or is that just because, you know, you, you, like, was the music, you know, the thing, or what, what was your, what was your anger about Dazzler? Didn't take the music, never really liked the character, thought it was kind of silly to have it in there. In fact, from the first part of that scene, I was like, what in the world am I now watching? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I love those old Dazzler comics from the 70s, but that's just me. Um... But yeah, I agree. I mean, she's kind of like a character that that isn't really all that important, and they didn't really use her, so I don't get why there was all the big announcements about her being in the movie, other unless she had a bigger role before. Um, I certainly hope that isn't the reason why Halston Sage left the Orville, because, you know, <laughs> that's, that's not worth it. Um... So, uh, does any, are there any other characters that anyone wants to, I mean, it seems kind of sad none of us have mentioned Scott, but I almost feel like his performance was serviceable, um, and, and he wasn't really as, you know, big as a role, of a role as I would have expected, but because we don't have the background with him and Gene, I feel like it wasn't really necessary, we just show that, yeah, he's in love with her, that's important, and that's all we really need to know because that sort of drives his motivations. Um, but uh, but any other characters anyone wants to, to say anything about? Um, James? Uh, I mean, it's like you said. I mean, Scott's only purpose was just kind of Michael Bay a couple of walls and windows. Um, <laughs> it's really all he accomplished. Like, even as, as we talked about earlier, like, even the whole, like, romance setup between him and Gene, it's just... There's so little background to it. It just doesn't have weight. So it's just like, you yeah. You always said you'd come back to me. And I was just like, I feel like you guys have only been dating like two weeks and that that was just a big lie. Like I, <laughs> Well, that's just how far Cyclops goes, man. <laughs> They've been dating two weeks and then he's just like, we're forever. <laughs> he does seem like the type. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> a little needy. <laughs> 
Oh, man. Uh, Gerald, were there any other characters you wanted to say anything about? No, I think it speaks for itself, especially in Scott's case. I'm telling you, it's just truly disappointing. So, um, Juliet, any other characters you want to say anything about? I mean, we all know that Scott's like, we're, we're totally forever up until the moment she dies in the comics, and then he's hooking it up with Emma Frost. So... I'm not that disappointed. He's he's never been my favorite. He's always been too whiny. And this movie, he was perfect in that. He was everything I expected. Okay. So, um, okay. So, um, so we talked about the cast and we've talked about, um, our overall assessments on the movie. Um, so what was, I don't know if, if, we talked about the timeline a little bit. So, uh, James, I know you had mentioned in your Facebook page that when you came out of the movie, you started questioning a lot of timeline and continuity issues. So um, what what were some of those things that uh, sort of concerned you about the movie? Oh, man. Let's see if I can explain this clearly. Um, so, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not as bad as, like, you know, traveling through time in the Avengers where our own rules don't apply kind of thing, but simultaneously it is. Um, but no, it's one of those where I, I, I don't know. Like, so where I, I started thinking is I went, okay, so these are all supposed to be within the canon. But the thing is after days of future past, basically it rewrites everything we knew before. So everything that's in X-Men one, two, and three, no longer maybe necessarily happened, or at least not in those ways, assumably because we're going to travel forward after that. So I was like, okay, soft reset. Got it. Um, This one, it is, it's, it's the whole, like uh, we mentioned it towards the beginning here, where when you look at the ages of the actors, Fassbender and um, uh, McAvoy, are like 40 and 42. So it's just like, okay, so timeline-wise, because of where we start at first class, I was like, that's what, like the 70s? I was like, and then somehow, like, we're, I'm assuming in the 90s for the Dark Phoenix, uh, because I was just like, I don't, there's, they never really show you a clear shot of anything, and they don't throw a bunch of, like, pop culture references in at all. So mm-hmm. it's, it's supposed to be 92, if okay. I understand correctly. I was like, so 92, I was like, so Sophie Turner's supposed to be right around, like, mid to late 20s. And I was just like, you know what, I'll give it to her. She could, yeah, she could do it. <laughs> but, yeah, I was like, I was questioning those ages. I was like, McAvoy and, and Fassbender – the characters are right around like mid fifties. I was like, those guys look great for mid fifties. <laughs> right. okay, okay. So was that your only issue was the apparent ages of people or did you have a, a bigger timeline or kind of issue of continuity or something? Like no, that? that was really kind of it. Like I was just trying to age oh, okay. all the characters and I was just like, I don't care. I don't care who you are. Um, as far as I know, it's never been established. The X gene, unless your Deadpool keeps you looking young forever in which, case youth look doesn't matter for him so <laughs> like, yeah it's supposed to be people with healing factors age slower so like logan right. ages slower deadpool yeah i mean those those characters age slower it's not supposed to be everyone with yeah, like, I mean, no offense but xavier's <laughs> Xavier's in a wheelchair. I feel like He's not they out could've... there doing Pilates every day, I don't think. so. Uh, well, that's the thing. I feel like they could have done a little yeah. bit better with makeup. 
to age them up a little bit more just because, but you know, before that reason of, cause it's like, they're supposed to be 30 years between this and first class. It's like, and these guys are not, I mean, even the people who were in apocalypse, that was 10 years ago and they still look right. like kids. I know. That's <laughs> why I like, I was just like, that's why when, when Mystique says, Char- she, she's just like, Charles, you know, like these kids. And he's just like, they're not kids anymore. I was like, are you sure about that? Cause they look kind of like kids. <laughs> Okay, see, my my issue walking away from the movie was, if you recall in Days of Future Past, at the end, Logan returns to the, you know, to what was his present, which is our future, and, you know, everything's changed, you know, like, you know, everybody's alive and everything, you know, he's walking through the school, Gene's there, that's supposed to be the future of this timeline, you know, so I'm like, wait, wait a minute. You know, like the rest of it, I can say like, hey, maybe Xavier comes out of retirement at some point, goes back to the school, and that's why he was at the school when Logan wakes up and everything else. But like, you know, Gene being there is kind of like now, wait, yeah. wait a minute. Yeah. Uh, like I said, and, I, I, and that's that's <laughs> yeah. the like vortex I went down as I kept thinking more and more about it. And I was like, but wait, what if that thing? And there's stupid, small, insignificant things, and it's just like it. Once again, as you said earlier, it's a comic book movie like anything anything works and it doesn't matter if the fixes physics don't add up like right, it's right. there we printed it therefore it is <laughs> did anyone else have like little niggling things like that that were bothering them not really about the timeline although i like to think that you know the little phoenix we see in the sky at the end means jeans is going to come back that's kind of the thing she just gets resurrected over and over again because i want her to meet logan again for the real first time uh in this timeline i Mm. want to see that and i wish we could well that's actually funny because that was going to be my next question was do we you know this is the one time hugh jackman didn't show up in one of these movies so do we feel like that was like they should have had him come in as for one last hurrah or are you kind of happy that wolverine was kind of kept separate out of this i wish that he had been there but i feel like if they had brought him in people would have been complaining about that too I think that Wolverine is a huge part of the Phoenix storyline because that's who uh, the Phoenix and Jean are anchored to. He's the one that's able to bring her back to herself. So I'm kind of sad that he was not a part of the storyline, but I don't know how they could have worked him in. Maybe if we'd gotten rid of the whole alien part of it, we would have been okay. (laughs) Yeah, I got to say, when he shows up in Apocalypse, I get why they did it. It was because they wanted to show what happened after... um, Oh, crap, I forget his name, captured him at the end of Days of the Future Past. But at the same time, that felt like such a grafted-on like scene that was like, this was completely unnecessary, that I kind of get not just having Wolverine just to do like a crazy cameo for no reason. But if he had actually been integral to the plot, like you say, if they had cut out the alien stuff and we could have had Wolverine as part of the story. But I think the problem there is more of an age issue of, like... We'd have Sophie Turner and Hugh Jackman. It'd just be kind of like... This yeah, looks it would have looked a little strange. Right, it might be a little strange. <laughs> but... Um, uh, what, what do you think, Gerald? I mean, uh, bo- both questions. Did you have any like little niggling like continuity kind of issues? Or, and uh, do you think that Hugh Jackman uh, uh, should have been in this? Well, I would have liked Hugh Jackman to have been in this film, but we're also clamoring for him in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so... I don't know. I think he's probably done with the role. I hate to say that, but I think at this point in time, he's done with it. But yes, he would have, 
his charisma and everything that he brings to the screen, I think, would have actually helped improve whatever was going on within the context of the film. Uh, when it comes to the actual cohesion and storylines, I mean, to me, the X-Men, the X-Men timeline has been so all over the place that I'm expecting at this point in time. And, and what we saw in Apocalypse that we didn't see in X-Men Dark Phoenix, as you've noted already, is, is just par for the course. So I'm kind of numb to it almost. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it doesn't bother me either which way at this point. I just treat the X-Men films not as far as a cohesive storyline. I just try to treat them on a one-up basis at this point in time. So, Yeah, it's going to be three or four years at least before we have X-Men in the MCU, so I'm pretty sure Hugh Jackman isn't going to be able to do that. But since this was made just a year after Logan was made, they probably could have included him, you know, cause he probably, you know, he would have still been in relatively the same shape. Um, uh, but, um, that, that's sort of like my thinking on it is that having him in the MCU is impossible, but he could have been in this movie if they had really wanted him to. Um, but, uh, but James, what, what do you think? Should, uh, Wolverine have been in this? no, no, um, and, and it's just because it, it's one of those where I, I mean, I, I, I think, I think it was hit on the head. Like, I think Hugh Jackman is just like he said, like he's he's done, he's done. I mean, Ryan Reynolds. If anybody can get him to make a cameo, I think it's only going to be Ryan Reynolds um, for Deadpool three, if he can even remotely pull it off. But yeah, he's just I think he's he's ready to be done. It does take a toll on his body. I mean, yeah, well, he gets jacked. Um, I mean, he, he loses that shape after these movies. So like getting into shape, it's just really hard on your body. And, you know, he had cancer and all that. So I'm sure he's just like, you know what? I could just, I could just make Broadway shows from now on. I could do that forever, <laughs> which those are also wonderful. Um, but yeah, he said he has to work out for nine months to get the Wolverine yeah, body. Yeah. Like it's insane. Um, I've read about the diet too. And I was like, no, I like donuts too much. I can't do it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's just one of those where like, uh, and, and it's, it's at a point where, because we've had Logan as recently as we have, it's, it's really kind of too soon, I think for them to recast the role, um, to somebody else. So I think he's like, for lack of a better term, I think uh, for me, I have a little bit of Wolverine fatigue at this point. It's just like, he's been in just about every single one of these things. Like, uh, I'm, I'm ready for a little bit of a break, kind of, kind of remove Hugh from from my mind a little bit um and then yeah come back to the role here in you know the next like two three years um and see who else they throw into it and see what they what what they deliver to the character um you know and how it compares yeah i'm kind of of two minds of the whole like wolverine thing of i think that potentially it could have worked really well but i have a bad feeling it would have just been like another cameo kind of thing that didn't really feel like it was part of the movie and if that's all that they would do then i'm glad that they didn't put that in there because the movie needed as much time focused on its core plot as it could get so um you know and that's the thing i hate the Wolverine is one of Marvel's greatest characters. It's why he's so popular. But because he's so popular, a lot, they, they put him in way too much. And there is sort of an overabundance of Wolverine, which means that he gets some brilliant, brilliant writing from some, you know, fantastic creative people. He also gets some horrible writing <laughs> because everybody uses Wolverine, right? He's in every comic book, you know, guest stars all the time. Um, so, uh, you know, and that, and that's sort of the problem with Wolverine is he's diluted so much, 
um, because of just his presence everywhere. So the same thing with the movies. I don't want him there if it's going to be a diluted Wolverine. I only want him there if they have a great story to tell with the character. Um, so that's sort of my thinking on it. So moving forward, going into the MCU, do you want them to use any elements from the Fox incarnation of the X-Men, or do you want them to go completely from scratch? And I mean, either concepts or specific actors. Is there anything you want them to carry over? So um, let's start with uh, you this time, Gerald. I think uh, I'm good for a little while. I think it's best Mm. for the series to go ahead and rest for at least five to ten years before they go ahead and integrate it into a secret war type deal, because I would love to see that. But I think I think right now, the way it's ending with fans on such a tepid note as far as financially, I think uh, for all parties concerned, I think it would probably be best if, if they just go ahead and start from scratch. Although, you know, Deadpool, do you keep him in that loop or do you set him aside? Because I know he's obviously going to continue within uh, the realm and Disney has said as such. And if uh, Hugh Jackman, like we just talked about, is ready to go ahead and, and said to go step into Disney tomorrow, I'm sure they would go ahead and, and find a place for him. But as far as the, any of the current actors, even though we've spoken very well about Sophie Turner and, and Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy, I still think at this point in time, I think it's probably best to go ahead and, and give for most of the X-Men a rest uh, for at least a little while and maybe recast those roles down the line. Uh, James, what do you think? Should they reuse anything from from the Fox incarnation? Um, like Michael Fassbender, uh, <laughs> I mean, just keep reusing him. Because don't get me wrong, I like McAvoy. Uh, sure. I think he does he he does a, a good job with um, you know Professor X for the most part. But I don't know, it's not my favorite. Um, I just don't. For me, nobody can top a card. Like he looks like him. Um, he emulates him so well, but, um, it's like, yeah, no. Um, I mean, I don't think storyline wise, there's anything to like really continue. Um, cause I mean, we have these two whole separate, um, sagas that were made covering the same thing. Um, and I do think, I do think this, at least for me, this interpretation of the dark Phoenix, I like a lot more than the previous interpretation of the Dark Phoenix. Um, so, I mean, if they did take anything, like, use this, I guess. But, yeah, I just, I I, I agree. I think it's just, yeah, let's let's recycle our resources. Let's take a step back for a little while. Um, and then, yeah, let's recast some roles. Um, because by that time, like, in all honesty, I mean, I'm sure any of these actors would be willing to come back and maybe with some maturity, like, they'd really sell it better and they'd have a little bit more experience as actors under their belt um, and maybe really develop themselves in a deep, deep way. But, I mean, that's a gamble at best. Um, so, I mean, the guy who played played Cyclops. I mean, I've seen him in a number of other things, and so far nothing he's in blows me away. So it's like, I look at him and I go, I don't feel like you're going to grow within that time frame as an actor to really, like, deliver well to the role enough that um, would be needed after that kind of time. So, yeah, let's put some new people in. Okay. Uh, Juliet, what about you? I really wish I could keep Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen just because I have a special <laughs> love for them and yes. the friendship that is so obvious between them. Um, but 
honestly, I kind of also want them to be able to rest. And if they do keep somebody, please, please bring us back Hugh Jackman as Wolverine because he has mm. crossed both of the two groups of X-Men, <laughs> those two different timelines. And it would make perfect sense, especially in a Deadpool movie who breaks the fourth wall constantly. Um, it would make sense to have him in yet another version. And let's have some more commentary on that from Deadpool. So I think if we could keep Hugh Jackman because... There is never, I'm, I can't imagine, I, I say never, so they're, they're going to find somebody who's awesome if they ever do. But in my mind, much like Mark Hamill will always be my Joker, Hugh Jackman's always going to be my Wolverine. Mm. That's fair. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, especially because of Jackman's comments and everything, I, I really think we're going to get a new Wolverine when they finally do the X-Men and the MCU. Um I would like, of, of all the of the people who I think it's possible we could get, because like you, I would love if we could just preserve Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen to just have them always be Professor Xavier and Magneto, but I understand realistically that's impossible, and they are getting older all the time, um, but uh, Fassbender, I think, as Magneto has been so good, um, Especially if the delay is as much as Gerald was saying, like 10 years, I could almost see them bringing Fassbender back and having him be like an older Magneto and just be like, yeah, in our version, he's that's he's still Fassbender, he's still playing, you know, still Magneto, you know, but it's it's a different take on Magneto, but we're, we're casting the same guy. Um but yeah, otherwise, I here's the thing. Here's been my problem with the Fox version. Fox has this feeling that anything too comic book quote-unquote is no good and that's always hamstrung their x-men storyline so i'm i'm hopeful with marvel moving into things that um that they you know that we get something that that we that we have less fear of actually embracing the comic book elements of these stories and actually go for things like hey let's not just have these like hidden shape-shifting aliens let's do full-on shiar and you know professor xavier has a hover chair and you know all these different like super technological things and whatnot so uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes i mean the, sadly the one thing that i really want because i've been teased with it twice is i want marvel to do the phoenix storyline and do it right the problem is i think now with fox having done it twice marvel isn't going to touch it with a 10-foot pole um, so while I would love for them to do it, like the three movie arc or something, uh, it's just not going to happen. So, um, you know, that's, that saddens me because I feel like I really want to see like the space opera version of the Phoenix saga done on the big screen. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Um, so anything else about the movie that we haven't talked about? I mean, it can be the movie in its relation to pop culture or something about the production or one of the characters we haven't talked about. Um, but, but is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't touched on yet? Um, Juliet. Um, how about the music? I just mm. want to say I'm a huge movie score buff. I think we've talked about that before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, on Facebook, I think. Yeah, and I don't think ever in person or on, on the podcast. But yeah. I felt that the music truly gave it that feeling where you know we're feel we're sitting on the edge of our seats, you know, feeling Jean struggle, mm -hmm. wondering when she's going to tip. I felt like the music did a wonderful job of emphasizing that internal struggle, and especially mm. during the final battle, Magneto's raising a subway car through the sidewalk, and oh, the music was just swelling it. and amazing. And I was like, "Yes, Hans Zimmer, I love you." 
<laughs> yes, Hunsimer is great. Oh, but yeah, no. Oh God, yeah. I can't say enough. I, I don't understand people who who uh, say the fight scenes in this weren't good. The fight scenes were amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and you're oh, right, they, the music is a good part of that. They totally were fantastic. And the struggle at the end when, you know, she's dragging Xavier up the stairs and just is giving him that look and everything swirling around. And the music was just perfect for it. Uh, the one thing I'll say about the this isn't about the music. The one thing I'll say about the fights, the one time I was confused is I swear there's a segment of the fight on the train when all the aliens are just swarming where it looks like they've completely cleared out all the aliens on the outside. We're, we're showing some fighting on the inside. And then suddenly you cut back to the outside and there's like 50 more aliens on the roof of the train. I'm like, where did they come from? But other than that, that was the only point where I felt like the fight, you know, because that's one of the things I hate in movies is when like the fights are confusing and you can't follow what's going on. That was the one problem I had with any of the fight scenes was like, I thought that that part was over and that's like, oh no, there's a whole lot more fighting going on the roof of the train. Okay. Um... Gerald, anything else about the movie that you want to talk about? No, I agree. Han, Hans Zimmer is is just one of the best out there that's ever done as far as scores are concerned, and and he can take a uh, you know movie that maybe not people uh, pe- not many people are thinking very well of, and just bring those scenes to a much better, more more climactic theme and end, with just by just by his skill with music and and the way he goes ahead and scores films, he's truly one of the best ever to go ahead and do it. Uh, James, is there anything else about the movie you wanted to mention? I do want to want to give a shout out to Nightcrawler. Mm, I really like Nightcrawler. Mm. Um, I wondered if anyone would. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, I mean, we didn't really talk anything about him, but his role was kind of like this small side role, just like Storm. Like, I don't feel like I don't know beyond being like muscle. That's kind of the only role they filled. But um, I did like the fact that um, they they really kind of showed how. Kurt is such a he's such a nice guy like he's there to like help his friends and help people and you have that moment on the train where the guy's like my kid used to be like your biggest fan and it's just like this really hurtful moment for him because he's just like he doesn't feel like he's a bad person and he's just like I, I don't feel like I did anything bad but I'm, I'm so sorry like I let you and anybody down kind of thing and then like you see that like momentum shift when you know this guy who um, obviously st- had some sort of belief in him um you know dies and like he immediately like loses it um which... well and even worse he tries to save him and he can't and he didn't you know he just was too yeah. slow barely too slow so it's yeah. like yeah oh god yeah the rage yeah. well and i like the realism of like uh the other moment i really liked with him is where uh they're they're in the street and they're fighting with um magneto and friends and everything and there's that moment where uh charles is trying to use kurt to like transport him around because he obviously can't (laughs) can't just run and so he's like moving him and he gets stuck in between and it was one of those things i was like i i know that they didn't exactly explore it in any way um but i like the fact that like once the other mutant is finally like knocked out or whatever he appears again and like charles is like are you okay? And he's just like, no, because like, we don't know, like what does he experience when he's in between phase of places? Like, is he in another dimension? Like, is he just non-existent for a moment? And so I could see where like for the character, like that's a terrifying thing. So they did nice little subtle things. I think with like his character, um, storm again, I don't know. She, she just felt like muscle. (laughs) Like it was like, 
heroes to power. Yeah, no, Come I on. know, and that's what's sad. I mean, it's like with Quicksilver. I mean, they they were just there to like use their powers, and we yeah. didn't get a whole lot with those characters, and it's kind of sad. But um, but yeah, so um, yeah, um, I I I I really need these movies to stop putting in loving memory of Stan Lee in them somewhere because uh, it it gives me like feels. <laughs> Every single time, and I'm just like, I'm not okay. You know, it started with Captain Marvel and the whole, like, Stanley intro. <laughs> and it's like, even in this movie, I'm watching it, and then in the credits, it's like, in loving memory of Stanley, and I'm like, no, don't bring up Stan. It's, it's, it's hurting me. Oh. I, I do wonder what Marvel's going to do about, you know. People have mentioned they can should continue to do like cameos in some way, whether it's posters with his face or um, whether they can CG. I really don't want a CG Stanley cameo in Marvel movies. I, I feel like that would be tacky, but people have suggested it. Um, but anyway, um, but yeah, I think we've talked a, a, a lot about this movie. I'm, I don't really have a whole lot more um, to say about it. Um, I guess my last question before we wrap out is, do you have a vision of how you would like to see the X-Men get integrated into the MCU? So, um, James, is there anything that you sort of, you know, not, not doesn't have to be like a, like a full, like, you know, fleshed out, like, this is what it's gotta be, but, like, are there, is there anything that you feel like, okay, when you do the MCU X-Men, you gotta do this thing, you know, you, so, yeah, just mm. give you the floor. Ooh. Um, Sentinels. Can we mm. get some good looking sentinels like that's what i want if we're ever gonna visit that part of the history again because like it just makes me so mad that like not in any of these movies they can ever seem to get it right even in the gifted that's like the one thing i hated in that show was what their sentinels were these little spider bots and i was like no, that's not. No, well, I, need, I like the idea of big authoritarian robots. I, I like the idea of Sentinel Services, quote unquote, being like this organization that might have different kinds of Sentinels for different purposes. I never felt like it was like this is all the Sentinels. I just felt oh, sh- like for this application, you know, we're trying to like go into like like public neighborhoods. We have these little spider bots to hunt out right. mutants, but maybe they have the big robots somewhere else. You know, so yeah, but no no, I get it. I get it. Yeah. That's one of the things too like I know they've struggled with because of how expensive it is and the CGI and everything cuz they wanted to have Sentinels in X3, you know, in Last Stand, mm-hmm. but they couldn't pull it off. And, um, and, and so, yeah, we finally got them in days of future past, but you're right. They're still not, they still weren't like what we see in the comics. And yeah, yeah, I would like something more like that. Yeah. Something along that, um, I'd love for them to revisit the brotherhood, um, Mm -hmm. and, 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 and do a little bit more around the brotherhood. I mean, we've seen them, um, but I don't know. It's, I, I feel like they're always overshadowed of course by Magneto and while Magneto's awesome, um, you know, there's a lot of really great mutants out of the Brotherhood that also um, are pretty incredible. So I feel like they're a little underused. Yeah, it would be nice if any of the other members of the Brotherhood got personalities. You know, right. <laughs> just Magneto. <laughs> yeah. Why do they call you Toad? I don't know, because I'm British and I got a long tongue. Oh, great. <laughs> That's all the background you need. <laughs> <laughs> well, their saber tooth was the worst, right? I mean, it's just like, rawr, 
Can you yeah, have a line? Yeah. Can we bring up well, your backstory and... with Wolverine at all? I Rawr. know, and it's such a throwaway story, <laughs> I felt, like, with Wolverine. Like, we, we get a little bit of it, but, yeah, there's such a huge, rich story there. So, I mean, yeah. like, that's that's really all I want is, like, actually utilize the relationships that these mm. characters have in the comics because it does just add so much more depth um, to everything because it's like there's always been that thing of like they're frenemies like mm-hmm. Sabretooth doesn't want anybody else to cool, kill Wolverine except for him so it's just like you know they they have this kind of sorted relationship where they, they used to work together they used to be partners all that kind of stuff so it's just like do more of that just more of that and give me giant robots and we'll be good <laughs> I'm sorry, I was just thinking about the fact that Sabretooth started as an Iron Fist villain. Nice. <laughs> it's too bad that, you know, with all the Netflix shows ending, we can't get Sabretooth as an Iron Fist villain. But anyway. I just have Danny Rand at the end of a season go, I am the immortal Iron Fist. And then just like from the shadows, you hear, I'm Sabretooth. And like, that's it. Just cut. <laughs> right. Um, Gerald, uh, any thoughts as to how the MCU should handle the X-Men? Yeah, I just, uh, I agree with you. The Sentinels have been poorly used over the course of time. Uh, I'd like to see a better representation of them, hopefully going forward at some point in time. But I I just, you know, if Kevin Feige, you know, we were talking in a room, all of us, I would just say, don't shoehorn them in. Have them come in organically at different points of time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe leading into something great. Like I mentioned the Secret Wars, but even if you don't want to do Secret Wars, there's still many different comic storylines that you can follow or come up with that will be great for the X-Men to be integrated into. So as long as they don't try to force it uh, and, and just go ahead and have it in, you know, blend it in organically and not all at one time. I think they're going to go be. I think they're going to be just fine. I think they'll get a revival. I think you'll see fan interest coming back into them, and not only them, but the Fantastic Four as well. If they're very smart about how they go about it, and they've been pretty good so far, their track record has been, you know, for the most part, very good so far the past ten years. In you know, when they're introducing characters into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I just think at this point in time, if they do it organically or or just sprinkle them in there and not just try to force feed it to you or shoehorn them in there, I think you're going to be just fine. Okay. Uh, Juliet, uh, any any thoughts about how the MCU should proceed with the X-Men? Other than having Hugh Jackman in Deadpool in the movie. <laughs> um, I just want to see them explore the characters a bit more. I mean, because they do so well with the Avengers. And even if a char- even if every character doesn't get their own movie, they still make you feel like you know all of these characters intimately. And mm-hmm. they have no problems laying the groundwork in movie number one for something that's not going to pay off until movie number 20. So I think that that's perfect for what the X-Men saga and all of their storylines can be. And I'm as long as they just stay true to the characters, that, that sounds so cliche. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the biggest thing for me is, of course, I want to see a good, I want to see Jean Grey and the Dark Phoenix, and I want to see them done over several different movies, even if it's only a tad bit in every movie mm. up until destruction of planet. I'm okay with that. But, I mean, I'm... I'll definitely look forward to it whenever they finally decide to do it, if they decide to finally do it, because I'm 
invested and I'm interested in these characters thanks to that seeing that first movie so many years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think it would just be so much more powerful, especially if you know Gene from like four or five movies before. Like, it, it kind of hurt that Sophie was introduced in the prior movie. You know, and, and then we're already doing Phoenix in the next one. It's just, I just, I want to have that emotional connection with her, and I also want them to set up the, the universe around it better. And, and yeah, I, I but I, I'm just so worried that Marvel's not going to touch the, the Dark Phoenix storyline with a 10-foot ball at this point, that they're going to be like, any X-Men story other than that, you know, is what we're going to do. You can't blame them for it, but they can at least bring sure. in the Phoenix a little bit, even if they don't want to bring in the storyline, they can hint at it. I mean, and Jean on her own, she's a fantastic character and is still one of my favorite X-Men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for my part, the thing that I want Marvel to take away, and I, I don't think it's going to be a problem based on how they've done movies in the past, but Fox has an issue. They, they have an issue with Fantastic Four and with X-Men of, like, there's one villain for these guys. You know, there's only Doctor Doom for the Fantastic Four, and there's only Magneto for the... Like, Magneto may have other mutants as lackeys or helpers, but, like, Magneto is the villain. You know, hey, you know, I mean, yeah, we kind of, we got Apocalypse, but I'm not, eh, there was such a weak Apocalypse. Um, uh, Mr. Sinister, you know, as an example of another character that we could bring in. I mean, I like Magneto, I love Magneto. I think Magneto's ideology and the idea of someone who's, who's actually in a Nazi concentration camp and has seen this firsthand and the fact that he just, he sees it happening again. To, to you know he's he was both a in, in the in the movies they made him a Jew but in the comics he was a gypsy either way you know he was part of a group that was hated for what they were and now he's part of another group that's hated for what they were and just not being able to to, to say like no there is no good side to this this is what's going to happen again and that's a powerful story but let's have Magneto every other movie or, you know, it doesn't need to be every movie because then he kind of gets diluted and it's okay to like bring in Magneto and then have him gone for a while and bring in another villain, do something with them, whatever. So that's one of the things that I want. The other thing that I'd really love to do is because we haven't seen any evidence of mutants in the MCU to this point. I think the best thing they could do is to say that with all this alien crap happening on earth, that that's, what causes mutations to start happening and accelerate like have like okay they, we had in the past like a mutant every once in a while like there was an xavier or magneto but say like it's all this crap that's been happening right now in the marvel universe that's like accelerating that so that we can sort of explain like why you know there's so many more now and we can sort of bring it in for the whole idea of now mutants are just kind of exploding all over the world. And so that's why people are sort of having a backlash against them and that sort of thing. And I would love for them to start with the first class and the actual first class, not the movie version. And like maybe adding Polaris or somebody like that to give us some more gender um, equality. Um, but that's, that's what I, I really like that. Yeah, no, that's what I would like. And then have a separate Wolverine. So, so like do like an X-Men movie and then have a separate like Wolverine movie for before he joined the X-Men. So then eventually you can integrate those characters. But again, like how Marvel likes to do things, set them up. So like do the young X-Men. And then that way, this whole generational thing works, because after three or four X-Men movies, you want to change up the cast, then fine. Just like in the comics, most of those original X-Men went on to do other things, and other new X-Men joined them. So you could keep on, you know, proceeding through the generations of characters. And the only actor you would really need to lock down for a lot of movies would be the Wolverine and the Xavier actors. And you could just change up everybody else. So, um... 
Yeah, that's sort of my vision for it. That's what I would like to see them do. I think that they could get a lot of mileage out of that. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see. I'm sure Marvel, they, they've done a good job with, um, you know, planning out these things. So so I'm pretty sure that they've got a good vision for it. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I expect, like Gerald said, though, it's probably going to be longer for X-Men. And I'm pretty sure, we'll, like, they're going to reboot the Fantastic Four quicker. Because I think that's easier for them to integrate them in to the MCU. Um, and I think X-Men might take, you know, a few more years for them to do that just so that they can do it right. But we'll see. They're going to do the announcement in late August of what their next five years of movies are. So um, we'll know at that time. All right. So, uh, yeah. Um, this has been a lot of fun, guys, um, talking about this. And it's an end of an era, but also the beginning of something new with the MCU. And as Marvel slowly gets all their characters back, I mean, the funny thing is, I never thought we'd get X-Men back in the Marvel Cinematic Universe before they got their properties from Sony back. Because even though Sony's allowing them to have Spider-Man, we still got like stuff like Venom, and now Morbius is coming out later that's like a Sony standalone thing. So um, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, how things are going. But I hope one day Marvel will get those properties back because I don't trust Sony to make good movies at all. But that's another podcast. All right. So um, let's say your goodbyes and let people know where they can find us online. So, um, uh, Juliet, let's start with you. Well, it's been awesome talking about a movie that I really enjoyed and to hear your guys' opinions on it. Um, you can find me on Twitter. My name on there is the underscore visible underscore elf that's because i also have a private twitter so hey um but you can find me on there i knit i talk about random geeky things and uh, drop me a message let's talk about dar phoenix <laughs> and uh, james why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you yeah um so you guys can find me through my blog at romanontherocks.com for all of your video game reviews and needs and uh, you can also find me out there on twitter at roman on the rocks or uh through the facebook page for the site as well same moniker Gerald, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Well, thanks again, everyone, for talking some great stuff when it comes to X-Men Dark Phoenix. I truly appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, for me, if you want to just follow us at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, on Twitter, it's at Pop Culture Cosmo on Instagram as well, Pop Culture Cosmos. Uh, you'll get the latest information on not only what's going on in pop culture, but also as well, you'll get a chance to check out or get information on our two weekly shows covering the latest and greatest in pop culture that hits every Monday and every Friday. It goes to radio stations all over the world and also as well hits, oh, I don't know, over I counted last count over 30 different podcast outlets, but you know, there's so many out there. So I'm sure yours is on even more. <laughs> uh, uh, now see i feel uh i feel like kind of inadequate now um, but uh, um thank you you'll be surprised with all the apps that are out well there, that's right. true that's true and i know that with being part of the eso network i'm probably on more than i realize um but um but yeah i'm i'm just still in awe that you're able to put out two podcasts a week but that's uh <laughs> That's <laughs> a whole other thing. But uh, but yeah, Gerald and James and Juliet, thank you so much for being on the show this week. Anytime. That was great. It was Thanks fun. Thanks for having thank us. You. Thank you, everyone.
And that's a wrap on Dark Phoenix. As much as I would love for the MCU to try doing the Dark Phoenix storyline once they start working on X-Men movies, because I'd really love to see it done right, I'm just kind of sick of this story right now, um, having seen it adapted so many times that I'm hoping for a break, and hopefully we will not see it come again within the next 10 years. But... With all that being said, what did you think of the episode? Did you like it? Would you like us to cover different kinds of topics? What did you think of the panel of guests? Just let me know, and you can do that in a variety of ways. First, you can email us at everything at 42cast.com. You can go to our website at 42cast.com. You could go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash 42cast. You could also tweet to us at 42cast. You could also leave us reviews on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts. I also want to mention the ESO Patreon. That's a way that you could contribute money to the ESO network, and that helps keep all of the shows going. And there are different tiers, different things that you get based on how much you contribute. You can look at that and determine if it's for you by going to patreon.com slash ESO network. But yeah, other than once again reminding everybody that episode 100 is coming up, uh, there isn't much else to say. I also want to mention the Time Streams project. That is my podcast that I do, just called Time Streams, not with the project part, but it is a project to me. Uh-huh. It is where Juliet and I are going through and watching all of Doctor Who from the beginning. We're even going to take some side trips into the expanded media. But that has been a lot of fun, and I know that people enjoy listening to it, and the way that we're doing the podcast is we're kind of telling you what happened in the episode as part of it, as well as giving our analysis. You don't need to have watched it. So I know a lot of people don't like watching old black and white stuff. You can still listen to our podcast, because we explain everything that happens in the episodes that we watched, and so that way you wouldn't be left behind. So think about it. Check it out if you can. But that's it for this episode of the 42Cast. Join us back next week when Patrick Troughton will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42Cast, copyright 2020. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.